This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharif Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. David Chandler was a student at UCT in the early 80s when he became involved with politics. He was a member of the SRC and USAS. He also helped establish the United Democratic Front and was part of the ENDS conscription campaign. David is one of the mentioned in Jonathan Anser's book, Mentions in the Trenches, and he joins me now to share his story. David, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Cherise. David, why did you become involved in student politics? I grew up um, in the 60s and 70s, which now seems like a very long time ago. But it was the heart of apartheid in South Africa. And I, uh, fortunately, was exposed to a set of influences that made me think critically about what I was seeing around me. Um, I don't think the majority of young white people at that time in South Africa had that good fortune. And it came together in the late 70s and early 80s uh, when I got to university. And there, there was organized structures that allowed me to channel the feelings I was having about the injustice I was seeing around me to be able to focus it. I think important in my formation were being exposed to stories of the Holocaust, to stories of historical oppression of Jewish people. And I I couldn't isolate those from my own experience. And so I sought to understand them in in my own context. And it started to make a whole lot of sense what I was seeing around me. And then taking a few steps beyond that uh, came, I suppose, naturally. Your first step was joining the SRC, is that correct? Was that the first structure that you were part of? Well, prior to that, um, that was after a couple of years of uh, student activism. Uh, The way in which it worked, I can't speak for now, is there were student organizations that organized activities, campaigns, educational activities, um, meetings, debates, and so on organized under the uh, framework of the National Union of South African Students. And there were various of these. I got involved with one called the Wages Commission, um, and that was targeting issues related to trade unions and labor. Through that, got involved with this broad set of activities. After a few years, I was called on to stand for the SRC as kind of mature. You go through generations at university in a year. So <laughs> I became a senior member within about two years. And through that, stood for election, got elected and uh, was a member of the University of Cape Town SRC. And then you were involved also with the UDF, United Democratic Front, and the Inconscription Campaign. Was it all a natural progression? Was it the same people involved in the same things? And what, what describe what it was like at the time? I got involved in what were, was a left-wing opposition movement. It was discrete, say, from liberal opposition groups. I had sympathy for them, and I came from a background where I would call myself liberal. But at that time, I veered towards a more radical perspective, and we were one large group, and we got involved in different activities. And uh, the student campaigning uh, was led largely by this group. The move to the UDF and then the end conscription campaign was interesting because we started to realize we couldn't only speak to ourselves. We, could, we couldn't only so, so-called preach to the converted um, or preach to the choir and that we needed to build a broader 
alliance of those who were opposed to what was happening around us, to the oppression of the majority of the people, to the system of apartheid. And through that, the first step in that direction was the, the UDF, the United Democratic Front. And it sought to bring a whole lot of these groups together, but not just limited to those that were radical and left-wing. Uh, to start building a broad front. And then we took it further as active white activists, realizing that there was one place that apartheid really negatively affected the lives of, of white people, and that was through conscription forced military service. And so we, we started a campaign and built it deliberately as a broad campaign and never sought to control it from the left, but set it up and then let it live its own life. Um, as it transpired, a lot of the activists came from that left-wing background, but certainly not exclusively. And it built a far broader appreciation of the breadth of opposition that there was. So the one thing led to another. Um, David, you, you, when you talk about this, and certainly in your chapter, you mention names that are familiar with the various organizations. Was there a sense of camaraderie? And has it kind of continued through the years? There was a very close sense of camaraderie. Um, we felt we were in the trenches together, and that, that built a, a deep connection between people. Within the student left, the groups I was involved in, there was, in addition, active personal reflection that we were doing uh, in, in small groups, trying to understand what we were experiencing, which I think brought us closer to one another. So there was, there was a deep connection, and I would say I'm still some of my strongest friends, closest friends are from that time. Uh, because of what we we went through together. I think it was driven in part by a sense that we didn't know when this thing was going to end and all we could rely on was one another. And there was also the sense that we probably weren't going to live long lives. You know, we were in our early 20s and we thought, mm, you know, if we get to 40, that's quite good. Looking back 20 years to that point is uh, interesting now. But what it did do was to make us realize we were in the trenches together. So it was uh, important that we knew one another, could rely on one another. And we grew now, close. I also imagine there was at some point a level of distrust with informers or did that never um, psychologically influence you? No, no, it was a constant presence. Interestingly, the, the major problem with informers emerged in, the, in uh, the National Union of Students shortly after Stock being a, an active student activist. And it did rattle the student community very badly. We were constantly aware of the potential for it. But there would also be false accusations, which was very troubling, and certainly in retrospect, if people didn't conform to what the, the group who were non-conformists thought was the current, the, the way of, of behaving, they, they were marginalized and not necessarily explicitly expelled and so on. So there was that tone around and we were constantly watch, watching our back. One of the things we were trained in, um, because in, in parallel, after a few years, I was recruited into the underground structures of the ANC. Uh, was in counter-surveillance, um, being able to identify these kinds of patterns, being able to identify when you're being followed, looking for those, for evidence of it. And so it became quite a constant. I, I wouldn't go any anywhere without checking behind me in a metaphorical sense. There were various ways of, of we went about doing it. Do you think that generation of people are psychologically scarred? And do you think most have dealt with their trauma? 
I think all South Africans are psychologically scarred. I don't I agree with you. An, I don't think it's an exclusive uh, domain for those that were active in the struggle. Um, I think people on all sides uh, carry the scar. And the trauma that was experienced goes from generation to generation. And I think even if um, those parents or grandparents experience these things, I think it'll continue and, until we actively reflect on it and, and deal with it. I think there's a long journey to go. And all nations deal with the trauma of, of their past. And I think we, we certainly in it. Obviously, they're new phenomena that have emerged in our environment, but um, we're living the past. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think all South Africans are traumatized at some level or another for whatever reason. And I don't think enough is being done to help us deal collectively with yeah. our trauma. What would you like to see? I'd like to see empowered people who can live freely and express themselves and see their wishes, at least their political wishes, their social aspirations, their personal aspirations being realized in, in some, sometimes in the most basic of ways, like having simple comforts, um, like flushing toilets and water, like their children going to decent schools where they know it's going to set them up in some kind of way for a better life than what they, they have experienced, that our resources are being spent wisely. I mean, David, I'm asking these difficult questions, but I, I just feel I can. What you describe is the anti-apartheid mo movement was active citizenry. And what we're seeing again in today in South Africa, all that's facing us, is another call for active citizenry. What do you think, as someone who was part of the anti-apartheid struggle, we as ordinary South Africans should be doing now? I think it's a, it's a, a very important call. And I think we need to create a living civil society. Um, we, in the, we have both the fortune and misfortune to live in the information age in which the internet and access to social media becomes a proxy for active citizenry. And people, you know, by forwarding some posts, believe they've, they've done good, and they have. But I think we need to go beyond that. I battle with it because my activism has migrated into a career of being a professional conflict manager. Um, and so I, I kind of resign myself to believing that, okay, that's where I'm investing my energy, but I think we need more. It's not good enough. And, you know, I point the finger as much at myself as anybody else, that we need movements. Um, and, you know, there are one or two emerging now, the, the, the call for, for protecting the constitution for, for democracy, for protecting democracy, I think is, is very, very important and to put our weight behind. So, yeah, I'd like to, to see more of that. David, in your book, just going back to your original story, you, you described the funeral in London in 1985. Yeah. And I wonder, we've got like one remaining minute, if you'd like to tell why you chose that story and what it um, like reflected for you of those times. Briefly, what, what happened, I was in Port Elizabeth at the time. I've, I'd, I'd gone up from Cape Town um, at the time of a mass funeral, which was the result of a whole lot of young people, I think they were 18, that were shot dead at a funeral in the Langa Township in Utenhag. And so several of us who were around got on the back of a, of a truck and off we went to this funeral. And the amazing thing about it, there were about reports varying between 40 and 80,000 people. Let's say it was 40,000 people. It's a very large funeral. And we arrived, very few white people, 
and we were a group of young white activists, and we were welcomed with open arms, with explicit demonstrations of that we were being welcomed into the space. The spa a path opened for us to pass through, not that we were looking for it. It, it, it felt very awkward. And I had a camera with me and I was welcomed right up to the front so that I could take photos. And, and then after that, we were ushered back to the town of Utnag to go get our, our lift. We thought people, a group of about 20 people were walking along with us after this event, uh, just because they were going home, uh, young black people, actually mixed ages, until we realized they'd walked the five or eight kilometers back to town just to provide us with an escort. And so that we could safely, it was a profound moment of solidarity, of, of crossing barriers that had been placed there. Uh, historically, and we came away with it with the sense of wonder, notwithstanding the fact that we were committed to the same struggle. It was a, a, a tangible, visceral experience of solidarity. It was a wonderful experience. Love to see more of it. And on that beautiful note, we will uh, end this interview. That was David Chandler, who is one of the mentioned featured in Jonathan Anson's book, Mentors in the Trenches. And if you'd like to read more of his story, you can get the book at Exclusive Books, or I'm sure, anyway. And um, David, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure.